Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another edition of Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. I am podcasting from my new house located in the north side of Cincinnati. That is one of the many reasons why I have not uh, been very good in podcasting. I've had a couple in the hopper. I've had this one for a little while, but things have been just absolutely in- insane in my life. Moving uh, was just one of uh, the many things, getting my computer and everything situated, just getting the time when we're not unpacking and moving boxes and stuff like that. But it, just in, in my personal life, things have been pretty turbulent. Uh, my father passed away really unexpectedly. And then uh, a week later, my brother was married. Um, my dad was supposed to officiate the wedding. Um, I mean, uh, so I took over and I actually officiated, um, which was a really great and, and very humbling experience. But getting back to normal life uh, has been a bit difficult. I started a new job as well. Things have been kind of nuts. Um, and I recorded this uh, this interview with Nick Potter back in uh, maybe even like, uh, early, I think early May um, was the last time I, I did an interview. And it's interesting, you know, the Potters, um, Nick and his wife Erin, um, and their and their two children, were visiting us. We we watched their kids while they were in Toronto at a comic book uh, festival. Nick is a uh, an author of of several comic books um, that kind of in, in the more like small press, uh, highbrow lit side of of comic books. So they were up there um, selling those comic books, and we we watched their kids, and so they were there. And then literally a week later, um, we saw them again uh, because my dad passed away, and they they drove out to Denver for the uh, for the funeral from uh, uh, Colum- Columbia Columbia Missouri. And so if if you're wondering kind of who Nick Potter is just know that he's uh, one of my uh, all-time um, uh, dearest friends and the type of person um, who would turn around um, and drive the complete opposite way um, from seeing us to see us again uh, to be with us when my uh, when my dad passed away. So besides just being a uh, a, a very dear friend and a very uh, smart, I think, astute person um, when it when it comes to um, kind of deciphering and and, and piecing um, piecing through or or piecing together, I guess, um, experimental music and and the reasons why he is drawn to those things. He is a, uh, a very accomplished writer. Um, I, I mentioned that he's the author of several com- comic books. Um, he also uh, does a lot of um, Short fiction um, and nonfiction uh, that have been published in, in lots of uh, different small presses. Um, he is a PhD candidate at uh, Missouri University and uh, teaches a bunch of uh, literature classes there. We we get all we get into this in, in the podcast, um, but kind of basically where he the reason why I wanted to interview him, especially for this format, is you know you, you kind of have. Um, people in your life who turn you on to like a lot of stuff you know maybe it's an older brother or older brother's friends or something like that and for me um, my journey down my musical rabbit hole um, 
it was definitely came from Nick and Aaron, his wife's blog called Forest Gospel. For those of you who are kind of like around in 2007, 2008, kind of in the whole, you know, the age of the uh, internet blogs, you know, that's when Tome of the Machine started. Uh, Forest Gospel was really amazing. Um, and at least to me, and, and maybe I had a very kind of shuttered view, was represented some of the best of um, not only coverage of, of these small independent blogs, you know, just running off of blog, you know, free blogspot templates, um, but also Nick's writing is just amazing. Um, the way he uh, the way he describes things and, and the way that he uses uh, the format of the music review more as a, uh, a canvas to paint with words and as an expression of creative writing uh, is, is something that I definitely aspire to and will never ever kind of get to be at, at his level. He's an insanely talented writer. And, um, you know, even though he says he kind of, he's fallen off, um, you know, knows uh, so much about music and it's a really fascinating conversation. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we get in, uh, into a lot of shared history that people may not find too interesting because you aren't there, um, but it's it's a lot of, uh, I think, really nice uh, kind of banter between uh, two old friends who share uh, a lot in common um, with the, you know, with the, with the kinds of music that we listen to and hopefully a lot of the kind of music that you listen to. Um, you, I don't think, would be listening to this podcast if you didn't share you know, some affinity for experimental music, or maybe you're a family member or friend of, of me, and that's, you know, that's the only reason why you suffer through these hour-long podcasts. But, um, yeah, hopefully it's enlightening. Um, and, and, you know, I, I thought about maybe just keeping this one for posterity's sake, um, you know, because for whatever reason, you know. But it's, it's I, I, think, we, I think we hit on some good points. Um, and so... If you kind of skip through or listen through some of the you know personal stuff, the shared history stuff like that, I think you'll get to some pretty rich rich discussion, especially with his wife Erin, um, about uh, personal reactions um, to to experimental music, especially in the harsh noise side. I think she has a lot of very very interesting um, perspectives, and I should say, um, you know, I, this is primarily with Nick, but Erin. Um, is a, a renowned artist, uh, both in fine art um, and then also um, as a screen printer. Um, she and Nick's artwork, uh, really from like 2006 to 2009 or 10, you know, was really an indelible uh, part of Salt Lake City's uh, music and, and art scene. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing posters that they've done for bands. Um, Kilby Court, which was Salt Lake's uh, really fantastic DIY. Uh, it started as a DIY um, all-ages spot, and now it's kind of been taken over, corporatized, um, whatever. Uh, their 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 art was all over. They did the mural for it, and, and so I'm, what I'm saying is is they may downplay it, but they had they left an, an incredible mark um, on Salt Lake City's. Uh, music scene, um, like all things, you know, it, it's it's new generations come and go. Um, but I, I think when when they were there and kind of when they're in their heyday, when when we met them and when we became friends, yeah, definitely um, played a played a major impact um, on on kind of what was 
what was going on in that city, even though that they may they may downplay that or or disagree with me. So anyway, I hope you enjoy the interview. Um, I promise, I promise, promise, promise to get more interviews um, and and to do more podcasting. Trying to get back on a on a regular schedule. I've got so many good ones coming up, uh, both local Cincinnati folk and people who are on tour. So please um, stick around for those. And in the meantime, uh, enjoy this uh, interview with Nick Potter. And in case you're wondering, hey, isn't that the hospitals who were playing the intro music? Was this an interview with the hospitals? No. Uh, I, I put that on there because that album, Hairdryer Piece, will always sort of remind me of, uh, of kind of the heyday of, of Forest Gospel. Um, so many bands that sounded exactly like uh, the hospital <laughs> that uh, kind of came up in that, you know, lo-fi, no-fi thing, which I, I just associate kind of memory and time-wise um, to to Forest Gospel. So anyway, I do hope you enjoy. Um, please, once again, if uh, if you do, if you enjoy this and, and you, you like what I do, um, you know, I, w- I would not be adverse to and, in fact, greatly appreciate you know, just throwing a buck or two uh, my way. I have to pay for this to get um, hosted on on SoundCloud now. Now that I'm, you know, exceeding, you know, what however the time allotment that they give for the free service. So yeah, I mean, I it's paying the bills. It's you know. So anyway, if you like the podcast, you want to throw some money my way, I'd be eternally grateful to you. So anyway, I hope you enjoy, and I will be back hopefully next week with another interview with somebody near and dear to my heart. Thanks. Bye. definitely getting cut (laughs) okay so sitting in my backyard Mm. with nicholas francis potter that's actually not true why what do you mean because it's nick francis potter oh it's not nicholas your parents didn't name you nicholas no i have to edit that out (laughs) (laughs) sitting in my backyard with nick three with nick francis Fancy Francis Potter. (laughs) And I'll tell you a little bit about Nick Potter. Nick Potter has been many things, is many things. (laughs) First and foremost. He's a father? No. That comes like like fifth, sixth on the list. (laughs) Yeah, I just just pushed that stuff to the side. Creator of Forest Gospel. (laughs) 
first and foremost, the creator of Forrest Gump. Blogspot.com. <laughs> which, in my mind, back in the 2008s, <laughs> 2009 exactly. <laughs> was the hottest <laughs> hottest blog on the scene. Wow. Six year old six <laughs> years ago this blog was really awesome. Second <laughs> it's uh author. Sure. An author. Comic book author. And an author of short fiction. And some nonfiction. Sure, yeah. yeah. Why not? Third, PhD candidate at Missouri, University of Missouri, in the creative writing program. Sure. Fourth, professor of English literature. Um, Is that accurate? I, I don't know that I, I'm, I'm a professor. Am I? You, do you teach really. college classes? Yeah, does that make you a professor? I, Does that automatically make you a professor? Yeah. Because you, you can be... Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Fifth. <laughs> husband. Sixth. Father. <laughs> the two mm-hmm. children who we watched uh, over the long weekend. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it was like a long extended weekend. I'm saying it was a really long weekend. It was a pretty long weekend. No, I'm, I'm joking. It was, it was delightful. Um... And then seventh, um, brother, <laughs> eighth son, yeah. ninth citizen. Is this getting cut too? No, <laughs> staying in. And yeah, I think we'll end with ninth, your ninth thing. Okay, cool. Citizen. Um, and why I wanted to interview Nick is, um, like I said back in 2008, forcegospel.blogspot.com was banging. <laughs> uh, that was what, what 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 was coming out around that time. How how would you categorize like 2008? Yeah, or like when 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 Force Gospel was like. I guess we can go back to Force Gospel, like when it started. When did you start Force Gospel? Well, I don't know. You should have told me that we were going to do this interview, so I could have take looked up some notes. You should. I don't even remember. Well, I think it was like 2005, 2006 2005? Yeah. So, did you start it in high school then? No. That, no. No, that would have been two years prior. After When did you graduate? 2003? 2002? Uh, two. Okay. I think two. Yeah. And so, were, were you reading other music blogs at that time in 2005? Uh... I don't remember. <laughs> a, useless. That was like 10 years ago. I know, but um, why did you start Forest Gospel? I don't remember, honestly. I don't, I mean, uh, I remember reading, there's uh, this one, like, uh, weirdo folk music blog that I read a little bit of. What was that? I don't remember that what Arthur? it was called. No. No? No, it, it went defunct shortly after I started reading it. And uh, I uh, I don't remember if I was reading other blogs at the time. I really don't. <laughs> so do you remember, you don't remember the impetus of why you wanted to start Forest Gospel? Um, other than, 
listening to no no not really what do you remember (laughs) do you remember your you're killing me do you remember your first forest gospel review yes what was it uh it was the Kalakak family uh their album was something like it was a date like May oh yeah 7 2007 or something Mm -hmm. like that sounds and uh, mm-hmm. open tunings and stuff like that. Organ, yep. organ drones. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was it. That was the first one uh, that I did. So since <laughs> since <laughs> this is, I'm really striking a gold mine and <laughs> asking ten years ago. Um, I'm gonna go back <laughs> even further <laughs> because Nick, I'm I'm interested. Okay, so this is why I I do this podcast is the kind of music that we share a certain affinity for. Mm. Would you say that some people don't like it? They don't appreciate Would it. Would I say that? Yeah. That some people don't appreciate it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm trying to can figure you say, out... Can you, is there any music that you can't say that about? No. Okay. So Damn. it doesn't define anything about it. No, it doesn't. Uh, you just really <laughs> took the wind out of my sails. <laughs> Okay, why would a good Mormon boy like you start listening to some of the stuff that you listen to? Like, what, like take me through your, your musical history. Uh, important childhood songs or releases that you remember really connecting to, and then um, how that sort of evolved into... I mean, your first your first review was Calacac Family, which is, yeah. you know, pretty, I think, pretty out there. Sure. Um, well, the, the first album I ever bought was a self-titled 311 album. Yeah, with the, <laughs> with the, um, with the blue cover blue. and the stylized 311. Yeah. With Down, and uh, uh, uh-huh. how old were you? I don't know, however old I was. I'd have to do the math. Okay. I have no idea when that album even came out. W- was that forbidden? Because they said the F word and stuff in it? No, my parents didn't really pay attention. Okay. They didn't care too much. Huh. Totally um, different. Yeah, I don't know. I got into a lot of, like, uh, I think this is the era of rap rock. Mm-hmm. And I was in on the ground floor of, uh, like, really early with bands like, like, like uh, not uh, 311 was popular at that time, but uh, like afterwards, like uh, Limp Biscuit, the three dollar um, bill, y'all, Incubus, mm-hmm. Stained, uh, like super super rad, really rad bands. I was like, I I uh, Glassjaw, Deftones, like 
before I like just just right before everyone else found out about him, I was like the really hip kid that just like helped new metal like <laughs> reach the masses. Not well, that I helped anything about it, but I was it, 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 I was prepared. You know, for... it wasn't like the A and R people. It wasn't the uh, people <laughs> paying millions for advertising space and uh, you know the hip uh, movies of the time or I uh, buying like the X Games. Early early out-of-print Incubus CDs on eBay. <laughs> How much? And they came back into print, and they were, like, really cheap, but after they got Was it, popular, like, that science, that S-C-I-E-N-C? Yeah, like an acronym mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Like how, how much would a uh, out-of-print uh, Incubus CD... <laughs> <laughs> I think they were going for like, Go, like forty dollars at the time. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Import only yeah. Um, yeah. Japanese releases release CDs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after you after you ushered in after you after you ushered in new metal. I ushered in new metal for sure. For for the uh, where were you at the time? Where you uh, live in Farmington? I was in, yeah, Utah, just north of Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, so, so after you broke new metal <laughs> in yep. for, for North Utah, yeah. North Salt Lake, mm-hmm. um, wh- where do you go after that? I, I, I must imagine it's like a kind of like a feeling of like, like I don't know, like uh, starting from like scratch or sort of like deflation. Um, you have to really remake your identity after that. No, I think I don't. Did I, you, wait, wait, hold, hold up. Right. Two things. Did you have a wallet chain? No, no. Did you have baggy pants? Not particularly, no. Did you rollerblade? You were you an aggressive in- inline skater? I was not aggressive, uh, but I rollerbladed when I was like much younger, like elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> so not like not in the era when I was listening to. But you you skateboarded, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was late comer to skateboarding. Uh, I I was like post Tony Hawk skateboarding. Okay. So you didn't you didn't invent skateboarding. I didn't invent it. Okay. Um, I jumped on the bandwagon, but I I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, post, um, post new metal. Well, uh, concurrent with new metal, I listened to I guess I just a lot of different stuff. Um, I, I really liked Weezer back in the day, um, and I don't know, I, I was pretty much open to anything, so I, I was listening to, I started listening to, like, uh, trip-hop, uh, stuff, like, uh, uh, Head and Zero Seven, and then I started listening to, uh, What's I don't I don't remember what they call slowcore I guess stuff like like uh, seam or like yeah like codeine and okay uh, how are you red house painters yeah and how, how did you how did you hear about that stuff like how did you discover that I think I used to uh, go through like the CD samplers from like uh, NME magazine and stuff like that how did you get NME NME magazine in North Salt Lake. Uh, I don't know. They sold them like Barnes and Noble. Oh, okay. And I think I I, I worked at uh, a mall there, and I went to the the uh, Barnes and Noble there, and they had like these uh, electronic 
uh, music databases that oh, wow. were, were like would give recommendations and I would go like early to before work and I'd just go there and sit and like just go through and listen to samples mm. of uh, related artists over and over again and I think um, uh, an, an online resource I used a lot back in the t- uh, day I think was CD Now hell was yeah was like super huge I loved CD Now D- yeah because database. it would have it would have like the recommendations and I would just I would go through those for hours and oh, hours yeah. and hours and then you could you could listen to like little 30 second like mm-hmm. snippets yeah yeah so CD I remember Now is huge I'd always write down uh, big long lists of things that yeah, I wanted to listen too. to and it would take uh, sometimes years before I would uh, get <laughs> find it like finally find it but I'd maintain like I'd hold on to the list for a long time yeah so CD Now I, th- I think like the contemporary version of that is allmusic.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's it directly comes out of that, but yeah, it seemed I, to fill that void. Because I remember it was, was, was kind of destroyed when I found out that CD Now wasn't like operational anymore. Yeah, well, and before, do you remember CD Universe? Maybe. I think, sure. think it might have been like become, or might have been like the stopgap between like that and all music. I remember what I would do is I would, um, I would wait for the, the Sunday paper and I would look at the Best Buy. Um, Mm. advertisements and they'd yeah. have the advertisements of the new CDs yeah I, I, I would look at those yeah and I, and I can't I can't say I found anything groundbreaking but like it definitely um, I, I definitely like knew what was coming out you yeah. know what I mean yeah so yeah yeah Tuesdays or new CD days yep yeah and I think we were both the same where we had like disposable incomes um, that we could uh, we could blow on CDs. I mostly stole money from my mom's purse for oh. sure to buy CDs. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I remember I would get an allowance, and the only thing that I would spend uh, my allowance on was, was CDs. Did you have those big books, this big, like, books yeah. of CDs that you kept yeah. in your car? And they just got all scratched up. and <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I had, I had probably, like, three or four of those mm-hmm. books. Yeah, I had a lot. And I'd, like... And then w- when CD burning became a thing, like that, that really like mm. changed a lot, um, because it was ama- like it was almost like you were getting CDs for free. Yeah. Well, I would do it. I would burn all my CDs and then um, keep them in that case to to play in my car, and I'd play my real CDs at home. Ah, uh, so you're keeping them pristine so that you could turn around and sell them on eBay, your, 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 <laughs> I German, never was, your German import. I never was a collector to the point where I ever would want to sell anything or, or cared about their value mm-hmm. like uh, for resale, but uh, uh, I did want to maintain them so that they wouldn't get scratched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that, that was the worst. And then um, you'd buy those, uh, remember those CD resurfacers? <laughs> I never, yeah, I never got one of those. I got, I got one of those for Christmas. Do they work? Uh, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think it, uh, I think it worked for me. So right now you're hearing that um, that that might be an annoying sound to you, but right now it's actually the most adorable sound. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> so Nick's, let me paint the scene for you. Paint it. Uh, Nick's. Got the watercolors. Nick's two-year-old, Cosby, just came out, and Nick's in this kind of weird reclined position, not because I think he wants to be or that he's necessarily comfortable in. But that's because the only way that this chair is is this kind of like uh, obtuse angle, and then his two-year-old just came up with a bowl of veggie chips mm. and is <laughs> joined us for the conversation. Mm. And so yeah, that's that's the sound you heard. It might it might have sounded like static, but it's just uh, a. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. You open it. Yeah? <laughs> Good point. Okay. Yeah. Two butterwebs. Oh yeah. Long it. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> so you, uh, I, I guess we can fast forward. When did you like first realize that you, um, I guess when did you start listening to like, quote unquote, like, indie rock or whatever? Um, I don't know, I guess, I mean, it was pretty much uh, contemporary with that time. I, I think maybe some of the first indie rock CDs that I bought was kind of just a shot in the dark at a local CD store. Um, I got a Modest Mouse CD and an Elliott Smith CD. Those, are, those were shot in the darks? Mm-hmm. I time. mean, you didn't, you hadn't heard of them or anything? No, I just, I just bought them. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. you hadn't heard, you hadn't heard, you hadn't heard, like, no, this, no. like. Not that I can remember. Huh. Uh, and I think I did that uh, at the time uh, with, uh, without very many resources. I think this might have been even before, like, a lot of, because uh, you'd go to the, the store with lists and they'd never mm-hmm. have anything mm-hmm. that was on any of my lists. Uh, and then I'd have money and I'd have to get something. And so I would just uh, randomly pick stuff. Yeah, and I think I got the uh, Elliott Smith XO album, Building Something Out of Nothing and Moon in Antarctica, uh, without ever, without knowing who they were or hearing anything beforehand. It's pretty impressive because I. I so impressive. No, it's because an impressive I. Guess. I think, yeah, no, I can't remember what my kind of first shot in the dark was but it was not that good in fact like I remember I listened to it and like I was like this sucks <laughs> and so I took it back and I'm like I- I'd like to return this they're like why I'm like because it's not good <laughs> like you can't just return something because it sucks and then like she- then like I like walked away like super <laughs> embarrassed like my face was like so red and she's like ta- like this like cool like hot like uh, record store clerk girl mm. it's like talking to like all of her like friends back there she's like I can't believe like this kid just like tried to return something because like he didn't let <laughs> <I'm just, laughs> him rub it in um, I I think one of my first because um, I was you know I was really into like punk and like um, especially like I went through like a really big sort of like pop punk emo phase before that kind of like um, before I guess I really started getting into stuff like um, like Braid and like The Promise Ring and mm. stuff like that. Um, but I think my first like Shot in the Dark, I had never heard of them before. I'm like, this is, looks like a cool cover. And um, I think I had actually seen like an advertisement. My sort of NME was uh, Alternative Press. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever read Alternative Press? Uh, I, I read Alternative Press and The Big Takeover. You ever heard of the Big Takeover? Yeah, I'd seen like an ad for this band called Trackstar, and they never did anything, but they put out a really nice album, mm-hmm. just like all power pop songs. Yeah, but yeah, it was the first like I'd been burned once, and then that was that was a that was a good uh, that was a good find for me. Um, but yeah, I remember a very distinct move away from like like feeling well feeling that it's okay to like listen to stuff that's not in my specified genre that like I had sort of crafted like oh this is like this is the kind of music I listen to therefore this is who I am you know did you ever feel like that you like 
your your musical tastes defined who you were mm. in, so, in some sort of personal identity? Uh, I don't think that I ever was drawn into fitting into an into a predefined genre or uh, that I gravitated toward peop- a certain group of people who listened to a certain type of music. Um, I think I was always relatively independent in mm-hmm. that regard. Um, and so I think at the same time, I, I really tried to, to diversify, even in, you know, in junior high and high school, and tried to listen uh, as widely as possible. I used to make uh, uh, mixtapes for my immediate group of friends uh, uh, where I'd make samplers of music that I found for them. It's called Mick Francis. <laughs> and there's nine, I think nine uh, a series is, uh, there's nine different ones of them, which were multi, multi-disc. Oh, wow. and, and, and most of my friends, I mean, I think I haven't stayed in very close contact with them, but every time I have seen them, they maintain those and still listen to them. <laughs> but they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty bad. But they, there are some gems in there, like like uh, who, mixed like, in with the like, what, what like the early uh, new metal stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like like uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like they, I would really just put a, a wide of r- r- array of stuff as possible, and I'd put like three tracks from like uh, different artists. I'd like have DJ Shadow um, on there with like. Uh, Early Incubus on there with uh, Red House Painters. Wow. On there with like just like a really weird wide range of bizarrely fitted uh, artists, and then just give them to my friends. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember one of the, like I felt like I I've, I've talked about this in like um, another podcast, but like. You know, I never, I was never, I never felt comfortable identifying, you know, like, one way or the other. You know, like, I can never necessarily call myself, like, oh, I'm a punk or I'm like this, you know, um, because, like, I had an overriding personal identity and that was being Mormon, you know. Mm. And so, like, I never felt like I could, like, totally give myself into one thing or the other because it always came back to, like, Oh well, you're not EFI that. <laughs> I would. What I would do is, I would, um, I would put those in the very, very, very back. Um, you know, to try of to like your, hide them. Of your case. Yeah, of my yeah. case. Um, Maybe even behind other CDs. <laughs> you ever double but, stack your CDs? <laughs> yeah, because I, it would, uh, it would, it would never, it would never work because like, like one of like the first like either you turn to the front or the back and so like if so if start there. yeah yeah so one of my friends you know if they got in the car they're like oh like let's listen to cd like 50 percent of the time they would be like what is this like i can't remember what some of the names were like like remember the promise i remember one, <laughs> <laughs> one was remember the promise oh, yeah. yeah i did i i didn't it was like a picture of like a sword and like yeah. lightning behind it i didn't uh I remember this one song. Um, it was kind of like a the guy had like a Rod Stewart voice. Do, you, do, do your listeners know what an EFY CD is? No, I I guarantee. Okay, that's a good point. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nick and I. <laughs> Ryan and no, 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 don't bring me into this. Uh, did you didn't go to? Did you go to EFY? Um, I this kind of funny story because I uh, was wrangled into going to one when I was probably like way late. Uh, I guess I 
I was probably like 17. Like, <laughs> this is like at the latter it's creepy, stages. Man. No, I don't know. I, I don't remember what age I was. But just like, it's just like I, a friend really wanted to go and their mom got my mom to convince me to go. And I actually, that was when I took, uh, that was when I just got those Modest Mouse and Elliot Smith <laughs> CDs. And I remember just like sitting in like the dorm room and just listening to those CDs and not really like participating. Yeah very much but there's there's these uh, Mormon gathering of youth where you hear like these devotionals religious devotionals and then E uh, EFY stands for especially for youth so Ryan would have these especially for youth CDs where they try to kind of have like you know a contemporary hip yeah, take but, on but they never did very well devotion. you know like it would be like maybe one or two like kind of folksy songs and then like the rest were just like straight up like adult contemporary yeah. music yeah. Um, with like o really overtly like uh, religious Mormon themed um, kind of like these calls to obedience like um, I'll, I'll probably splice in one of the songs Um, but I remember this one time um, at EFY, uh, we were listening to, like, um, we, we would all kind of get together. So what it basically was, I mean, you'd go to, like, man, like, you'd go to, like, devotionals, and then you'd have, like, fun, you know, you'd play all these, like, you know, games and stuff like that. But really, the, the whole reason to go was to meet Mormon girls. I mean, that's why I went. Yeah. And then also, you, I mean, you, at, at night, you kind of had a chance to, like, kind of, like, have some bro time. You know, with your like, with your <laughs> with your group, and you know, our 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 EFY counselor would like, um, you know, tell us stories from his mission and stuff like that, and like, you know, you're just like, whoa, like, you know, you you kind of you had this like really unrealistic view of like what sort of like Mormon adulthood w was like because you were um, being instructed by these like unmarried 23 year olds mm -hmm. um, or like 21 year olds like right off their mission, um, and I remember this one story. Um, you know, they'd always tell, like, these faith-promoting stories. And one was, like, um, it, was, it was a story of, like, uh, this kid who was, like, listening to all this bad music and it was influencing him to do, like, bad things. Like, it was, he, must, he must have been, like, listening to, like, Limp Bizkit and, like, Incubus and John Weiss. 311 and John Weiss. <laughs> and, uh, and so to, like, show his, like, um, his obedience, like, his, like, contriteness, because he want, really wanted to change. Like, he, like, smashed all of his CDs, like, with a bat. And so that night, all, everybody who brought CDs um, to the, uh, <laughs> to EFY went back and just smashed them all. 
and I, I didn't. I, I refrained. <laughs> but uh, it was like, the scary thing is, is like, they didn't tell us to do that. You know what I mean? That's like the most like insidious part. It's like, they didn't tell us to do that. It was like, we were just like, ah, like something just like went off. Like, yeah, we need to like show our obedience. So like everybody went back and like smashed like their one Tupac CD that they had. Or like maybe their one Insane Clown Posse, Insane Clown Posse CD that they had. <laughs> You, you know, I did not, CD. no. Um, but it was like the, you know, one CD that had, like, all their rap CDs, which now thinking back is, like, super racist. <laughs> so all, everybody just broke their rap CDs. And 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 all, like, all the other stuff was like, oh, well, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's only got one or two tracks, and I can skip through that, or I can turn it down when it says the F word. Um, so, but the, but the time that I did smash my CDs, and I, I talk about this in another podcast, is when my mom found my secret CD stash. And, uh... Okay. We'll wrap it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> wrap it up. My wife gave me the wrap it up. We're not even 30... We're barely 30 minutes in this. 30 they can, minutes? They can wait. People are going to listen to 30 minutes of this? <laughs> they'll listen are to people what... people still listening right now? They'll listen to what I to this podcast? tell them to listen to. <laughs> but my mom found my secret stash, and she found uh, a minor threat CD. Um, and she started reading she the lyrics. Punk. <laughs> she did not. In that moment. She did not. Ian McKay's. She started falling Fugazi. And <laughs> she did. She's been going to the Evens. <laughs> tour. She's like, so she's like McKay fell off. Um, but that I, I smashed those mm. to show. And once again, she didn't tell me to do it. But I remembered from EFY that story. Yeah. And so I smashed it. So I don't know where, where we're going with this. Let me ask you, has, do you know of any Mormon artists who have created, like musicians who have created anything of like lasting value? Mine is Low, but I don't know if they count anymore. I never really listened a lot to Low. You didn't listen to Low? Even in your no, slowcore days? No, I came to them pretty late, and then I just, I mean, I still probably, they're just someone on like my list that I'm like, I should probably listen to them more, but I've never really listened to them very well. So, uh... I, I, can't, I can't think of any, like... I mean, I, I, I have friends that I believe sure. have made stuff that is of lasting value to me. Uh, and I feel like, uh, given the right circumstances, if the music came out in maybe a different social circumstance, like, it could be of lasting circumstance to a lot of people, but not in, like, a larger context. I, I mean, I don't even know who, who is or was... Or isn't Mormon? I don't know. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking of like popular like music. You've got um, Imagine Dragons. Oh, I don't know. Neon Trees. I don't know them either. The Killers. I I've never listened to the Killers. <laughs> All those. In, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. You, I mean, I'm a little surprised. But <laughs> I'm not sure. No, I'm not surprised how they at all. Sound exactly. No, I, I'm. I'm just. I kind of have a, a sense maybe of how the Killers sound, but I don't know how they sound. And maybe that's a really bad question because that's. Um, I know the used came from you. Oh, the used, yeah. I don't, I don't know. From Provo. I doubt they're Mormon. I think some of them were at some point. I don't I know, know. You know, at some point I listened to this band, Rapider Than Horsepower. Have you ever heard of them? Mm-hmm. Um, a long while ago, kind of like a, a weird, uh, kind of gnarly uh, post-punk band. Yeah. And for some reason, I think one of the uh, 
talking with band members, they said that they were Mormon. That's mm-hmm. the only time I ever remember something there, like that. There was a good, um, like, uh, like post-rock band out of uh, Provo called The Player Piano back in the 90s. They're, um, they're good. And then actually another, oh, what is this band's name? I can't remember. Um, anyway, it's unimportant. They were Mormon. They were pretty good. But yeah, I, I mean, that, and that's a really unfair question, I think, like, because I'm sure there's been, like, lots of um, artists who don't build themselves as, like, Mormon artists, you know, who sure. created lots of, like, really lasting pieces of art that we don't know about or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a kind of an unfair question. I'll strike that from the record. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Forest Gospel, you started Forest Gospel. Mm-hmm. When did Forest Gospel really start hitting its stride, do you think? Never. 2008? <laughs> I don't think it ever hit its stride. 2008? <laughs> yeah, 2008 is... I, I think I started reading, like, 2007, pretty soon after I actually I got home from my mission. Um, and I, I was kind of aware of who you guys were, um, I think, from seeing you around. I Nick always tells this, the, the story, always tells the story of me. I was on the polyvinyl street team, and I was hanging up posters for architecture in Helsinki. And you guys were in there. I think you guys like were playing cards um, with Chris and Anna at Slow Train, because mm-hmm. <laughs> like nobody shopped there at that point. Um, they're new, but I, I love that record store. Um, and I w- came in selling some, uh, or not selling, but hanging up some Architecture in Helsinki posters. Oh yeah. Um, so I kind of, I think I kind of knew you guys' identity, but you guys kept pseudonyms um, during f- for Forest Gospel. Why in the early days? Why why the pseudonyms? Um, I think it, we wanted to uh, review local music, and we uh, wanted to re- review it in an unbiased way. Or is that what I'm trying to say? Sure. Or just in. Uh, yeah, we, we were we were kind of entrenched in the local scene. We made screen printed uh, posters for a lot of shows, and um, and so we wanted to to kind of create a forum for uh, promoting that kind of music, but without the attachments of our personalities in that scene, I guess. So, um, yeah. Did that work, or did people know who you know who you were anyway? I have no idea if anyone even read the site, so I have no. <laughs> well, idea. I did. <laughs> so Forest Gospel was like my like uh, uh, like inspiration to start the tome. Ooh. Because I re- I, re- I remember I read back then, I read um, Forest Gospel, and I read Anti Gravity Bunny, um, and I read uh, Dusted, and Coke Machine Glow. And Raven sings the blues. I think those were like my my main five, and tiny mixtapes and mm. Pitchfork and all that stuff. But like as, out of the blogs, you know, those were definitely my go-to's. Um, and what I really liked about yours is um, that you, I think, definitely towards the end, I think of like, because for I think Forest Gospel has gone through a couple of like different resurgences and. Formations. I posted stuff on there like a month ago. I know, I've read it, but I, but it was like a sentence <laughs> long. It's like a sentence long. Yeah, well, no, yeah. yeah. I don't post it for anybody. <laughs> but uh, you definitely, like, um, it uh, lend, it, it leaned more towards the, like, creative writing side, and I think that's when you were 
you were maybe in your last semester of your undergraduate or maybe early no I think it was last semester of your undergraduate yeah um, probably. it definitely it leaned m much more towards the creative writing side and sort of like using the review format as a sort of a canvas to uh, engage with the music on, on a much less literal way. Um, I remember uh, one review you wrote that I thought was really brilliant um, for the Colin Stetson record. Mm. And I, rem I, I remember you saying something like, you know, a lot of people say that Colin Stetson, uh, like, does circular breathing, but actually he's got like four lungs, and like one is like a, a horse lung, you know, you kind of went through, was, I thought it was really, really clever and also really beautiful, and then you wrote some, like, some of the imagery that you'd use to like des describe drone music of like, like oceans like folding in on themselves, and like, um, really abstract imagery, but really beautiful and evocative, um, and made reading a, uh, maybe a two-paragraph review about a drone record, like, doable. <laughs> and so that's definitely something that I've, um, I've aspired to, is, is to make uh, re reading reviews, like, not a chore, and, and not, like, overly, uh, I don't know, like, uh, objectivity is sort of, like, thrown out the window. Um, besides, like, oh, you know, like, the reason why I'm writing about this is because I respond to it. But, um not trying to be like a critic, but more like a, I don't know, a co-creator using, using words to respond to and then either augment or interpret the sounds in the record. Mm. At least that's what, <laughs> yeah. that's, what, that's what I get out of your writing and that's on some level what I try to do. Yeah, I uh, learned very quickly that reviews are very boring to write <laughs> and read, and I rarely read reviews, almost ever. I don't, I, I don't know how many reviews I've ever uh, started or finished. It, it just seems so futile when, especially when the music is accessible immediately in the moment. I don't need to. The, I rarely want care what someone else thinks about the music per se I just will hear it and want to uh, and that's enough yeah and well, so I mean that that's why anymore if I even post some, something on there I'm not going to describe it whatsoever but it, just so you're saying is that like letting people know the fact that it exists is enough I mean or, or learning that it exists is enough I it's basically for me it's like a bookmark like mm -hmm. go back and listen to this yeah yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a really like honorable way to approach music, writing about music. Um, Not writing about it. Is no 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 <laughs> is is creating like trying to create a form for um, for exposure rather than like uh, trying to tell somebody you know if it's good or if it's bad. I, and I, I don't know that uh, uh, criticism or theory is is bad either, uh, but. Um, I don't know that much music criticism gets into uh, more interesting philosophical or theoretical discussions when they're talking or reviewing music. So, and and when they do, um, especially some of those like long, like long think pieces, like on like tiny mixtapes and stuff, um, they're really really interesting. Um, but they're also like 
No, I'm, I'm, I actually I don't have any sort of like qualm about those. Uh, I think when they're when they're done really really well, like I, I think Tiny Mixtapes has put out some really really interesting think pieces on um, like modern experimental music and stuff. Um, but that that that's not I think the realm that we're working in. Because um, I, I, yeah. I I wouldn't. <laughs> but I definitely wouldn't consider myself like a critic, like at all. Like I don't, I don't think I think deeply enough about um, like music in its context to like. To you, don't? you don't think you think deeply about music in its context. Like not in like it's like historical context of like where are we? You don't use reference points for like music and its predecessors and constellations. I guess I do. I mean, I, I guess I do. I guess I. I mean, that's like the basis for popular music writing. Yeah, I've tried to get away from attempt. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I get maybe I moved away from that a little bit. I mean, I, I tend to use like my references as like um, adjectives, you know, and, and I think within like a, a listening audience, <laughs> Eddie's pissed. I, I, <laughs> I, th I think within a certain listening audience, um, something like Basinski um, is is I think almost like an adjective. Um, like if, if I say like, oh, it's Basinski-ish or something like that, mm -hmm. like you, you have a certain idea of what the tonal quality will be or kind of what, what it'll sound like as, as, I mean, like a sort of a decaying, um, quality or something like that. Um, or if I, if I, you know, said like, you know, Reichian minimalism, like we have an idea of like what that means and. So I think I think reference I, I I think I'm I tend to use references as, as more like adjectives rather than like because um, I really have I I'm so like siloed in like because I really I really don't besides what people send me um, and I'm not on too like the tome isn't on too many um, like mailing lists that I'd really care to be on um, I, I don't really know what's out there like I listen to like the bigger t like 2014 releases I'm I'm listening to that stuff now cuz I get it for free at the library. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't actively seek out um stuff um beyond what's sent to me cuz I feel like a lot of the stuff that's um I mean I don't I don't need to like I mean unless something like really somebody who I really love, you know, puts out something new like mm -hmm. that new Benoit Prillard uh album, I'm probably butchering that name, but like that's one thing that I definitely sought out. The new Valet record, I definitely sought that out because I wanted to listen to that. But I, 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 don't, I don't think I think about things too much in, like, um, context of w what's happening in contemporary music. I think I'm just too siloed mm. to, like, really consider that. And maybe, the, I mean, maybe to, like, good or bad. I, I mean, who knows if that's even, like, <laughs> if it's good or bad. It, I don't think it is. Um, but I, I could be missing some, maybe some important cultural reference points um, in the stuff that I am writing about and maybe thinking, maybe giving it a little bit too much credit because I don't know that what else is sort of out there and what's really popular in, in like sort of the indie world or like, you know, accessible experimental music or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, w what are you, what are you, what are you doing now? What are you, what are you listening to now? Uh, what am 
Nick's pulling out his iPhone. His password's one 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 one. Let's see here. Been listening Currently to listening. Crystal Castles lately. Nice. Um, how do you say Eric's name? Do you know how to say his last no, name? Chenau. Chenau. C H Eric C H E N A U X. Yeah, Skull Splitter. I like that album from this year. I really like the new Go Team album. Um, I really like the new John Weiss album. Yeah, he just played a show um, across the river in Kentucky um, a couple weeks ago, and it was, it was really, really amazing. And I like the new Mountier album. That's the first uh, yeah, Phil yeah. Elverm album that I've really yeah. liked for what a long time. What do you think of the new Pyramids album? Is it good? Um, it's okay. I haven't really uh, I haven't figured it out yet. I, uh, I just had a amazing experience revisiting that first that self-titled album driving i was driving back from athens um we left at like three in the morning and we drove all night and listening to that with a friend at like extremely extremely high volume was really powerful yeah uh, there's a quick sales album out this year i really like uh spillage mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite things that I've listened to in a long time is this uh, Telepath album, um, which is telepath with, with a lot of uh, Japanese or Chinese characters. I'm not sure. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's really weird and slow and. Uh, Worthwhile. So, what draw what draws you to? Um, let's. I mean, we could use like John Weiss as an example. Like, when you first heard something like John Weiss, like what what drew you to that? What what made you not like like push push the skip button or not think this is like irrelevant or whatever? I'm not sure. I'm adventure. Adventure like that it did it feel inaccessible? Uh and that you wanted to sort of like crack the code or figure yeah, out what was going on? Here talk ask Aaron about <laughs> here's the other fifty percent of Forest Gospel. Aaron Christopher Potter. Hey uh Aaron, what do you what do you <laughs> think of the new what do you think of Jean Weiss? I always kind of left that one up to Nick. <laughs> I remember, I remember having arguments with you guys um, about uh, how Aaron you hated like haunted house music. Right, right. So, well, Nick has this thing where he'll like turn on music right before he gets in the shower or goes out to mow the lawn, and so he's not mm-hmm. even listening to it. It's just on, and he'll put on this like very atmospheric, ethereal, like pretty quiet definitely de- depressing tones very often like drone and I just won't even know it's on until I realize that I feel like <laughs> my life is sad. a haunted house <laughs> is that intentional uh, do you do that in some way like some like some conscious way to like I used to, we used to, uh, <laughs> I, when I first got a, a Buddha box I um, we'd go places and I put it in my pocket and turn it on and like 
wait until people noticed that it was on. And sometimes it'd be like two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of just the slow, like, mm, just the no. Just like forever. Yeah. And we'd be like, wait, what's that noise? <laughs> and Aaron would get mad at me. So yeah, it probably is intentional. <laughs> Do you feel like some noise music especially is um, intentionally like confrontational? Of course. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to go for, with that question. Well, I mean, I think it's as confrontational as like a, a punk music or, uh, I mean, it, when... Like it can be aggressive. Aggressive or discordant, it's that way on purpose. Uh, and so, yeah, it's confrontational on purpose, but it's also... So w- w- why do you react to it? How do I react to it? Yeah, or, or I guess why do you, uh, why do you enjoy, enjoy that? I'm not sure. <laughs> Faulty wiring? <laughs> that's, that's like 100% of like the responses I've gotten. It's like, uh, I don't know, mental illness? <laughs> no, I think, I, 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 I think, well, I think it corresponds in some way to uh, uh, a worldview that embraces uh, chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think in- introspection about it, like re-looking at um things that are giving them space to um, be evaluated without just uh, rejecting it immediately out of hand. That, that's really interesting coming from our culture because um, I feel like so much of like our, especially our, our kind of shared let's wait for this helicopter to pass. Were you guys way into that noise? <laughs> that I really, I, uh, I really responded I, to it. No, but I, I mean, I, I feel like that has been an, a literal uh, um, reaction to listening to noise music. Is that I will be much more attentive to sound. And I remember as an undergraduate, they were doing construction on a building there, and I used to go out and just listen to the construction. Now they're fireworks. Um, I think it's a Reds game. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting that you were able to kind of create that space or kind of create that separation because um, definitely a big part of my sort of acculturation into experimental music and noise music and stuff um, has been an active, like, fighting against that urge to, like, label everything as, like, good or bad or evil, you know? Like, if something has a harsh tone, it's like, I was, you know, we were taught that, like, you know, that can be, like, of the devil, you know? Like, because... Satan loves what is it confrontation or he loves like uh, misery or whatever and so if anything is like kind of conjures up or, or isn't like explicitly like sweet or explicitly like in the light then it's dark and it's evil and so a big part of that was me like rege- like learning to uh, separate context from it and just like accepting tones and sounds for what they were and 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 then examining their intention in a very safe way instead of being like oh that's like trying to destroy my soul or whatever um and i and it it was a big process and it was almost like this sort of like visceral like like willing myself to get through it you know like like re- like bracing myself and like no i'm going to like listen to like this 3 minute like noise track even if it sounds like 
demons trying to enter my soul. But why did you, like, I'm going to interview you now. Okay. Why did you feel like it was necessary to just, like, why did you feel like you had to make yourself listen to that? I think kind of speaking to what Nick was talking about um, is I, w I knew that there was more than just sort of the black and white picture that we've been presented with. Um, and I knew that a way that I could sort of access that and see that was by rejecting sort of the, this dichotomy. Um, and I, I think seeing that in like stories and movies and stuff that like, you know, there's just a whole lot of gray, you know, there isn't this like, just like always good and evil intention for everything. And maybe the intention behind, you know, harsh sounds or sounds that are depressing in tone. Um, you know, it for me it became like a safe space where I could explore that, um, where I could say like, okay, this is like this is depressing, or this is this is sort of aggressive, and not real and not have that, and 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 not think that it was going to have like this immediate like, sort of like emotional or physiological response. Like I wasn't going to have this emotional or physiological response to it that it could exist sort of like in the realm of like, I could intellectualize it and then like realize that, okay, it's affecting my emotions. Like once I put it in the realm of like, this is interesting, I could realize like, oh, this is having an effect on my emotion, but I don't have to like totally give into it. You know, I, I can, it's, it's, I mean, it's like. It's kind of a part of music at any stage is like the cathartic aspect of its appeal to your emotions. Right, but what I'm saying is the is especially within like a really literal re religion that cathartic response can be um qualified as like bad. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure like our church leaders and stuff didn't want us to like listen to punk and stuff and get like mad cuz being mad is <laughs> bad. <laughs> you know, being mad and being angry and upset is like of the devil. I think it's just really different for different people because for me, like, being mad is awesome. It's a way to bring about change and stuff. Being depressed, on the other hand, is something that I would like to avoid. I do not get into noise, uh, especially, like, discordant things. Um, I, I can listen to them and enjoy them in particular contexts, say, like, as the soundtrack to There Will Be Blood, but like <laughs> just not the soundtrack to my life. I love things that are droney, ambient, but they need to also be beautiful, which is why I've mm. always kind of just stuck with the classics like Alluvium. The harsher things, I do feel like, I'm not saying like, uh, maybe our religious leaders had some kind of a point, not that Satan's like mm. in those music, but it can like really affect your mood. Yeah. And I think just since we have kids now, I'm very, like, I'm very uh, cautious of the house sounding depressing mm -hmm. or, like, what's on. But at the same time, I want them to have a deep appreciation for, like, all types of music and be able to be extremely experimental. But I do get wary of things that are harsh in a way that feel like they're just harsh to be harsh. Mm -hmm. Instead of like harsh punk, which is harsh to like fuck up the world. <laughs> but that's part of being harsh for harsh's sake. I mean, that's uh, no. noise is a totally a political move in creating music that's discordant and chaotic. 
that doesn't have explicit lyrics that is against uh, capitalism. That's still anti-capitalist music, noise music. And we've already talked about this. We have arguments about whether or not uh, noise music is the is true punk music. It's true. If you can't punch somebody, do it in a mosh pit. <laughs> you can punch anybody at anything. <laughs> at any time. <laughs> I mean, for, in any for context. For me, like, listening to uh, chaotic music has always been something that has m- made me feel more... Um, my thoughts more acute and I actually have memories of listening to mind flayer as loud as possible to finish an essay because it helps me have more clarity of thought yeah it's insane he does his homework and I'll come up and like pull his headphones (laughs) out and you just can't even believe the stuff that he uses to concentrate (laughs) well I can't listen I won't wouldn't listen to ambient drum music because I don't want to get tired that's crazy and I wouldn't listen to anything with lyrics uh, because I I pay attention to the language but the chaotic music um, gives me more intellectual attention and activates Hmm. that in a way Interesting. That allows me to it's made you a way it. grumpier person too. Well, I haven't been listening to noise music for the last couple of years very actively. <laughs> Not as actively as I would have otherwise. That's that's really interesting to me because um, I mean I I can't do that. Um, for me, I listen. I mean, when I study, and most of the time, whenever I read or whenever I study. I'm listening to music, but it's definitely in the very like yeah, kind of like alluvium, like really pretty ambient side. Um, because I mean that what you described the kind of the sharpening and stuff, of uh, yeah the kind of the sharpening effect, um, the blocking out of everything else, that that has that effect. But I can't listen to anything that's even like a little bit noisy. I have a hard time like focusing and concentrating on the task at hand when I listen to it. I think Nick's brain is just made with like really creepy confetti. <laughs> Creepy confetti. (laughs) What's creepy confetti? confetti Black skull confetti. That's like a little little bit cute. Drops of dried blood or (laughs) dried blood. You're associating the occult with noises, (laughs) (laughs) which isn't a far (laughs) cry. Um, Well, I don't know where we want to go from here. I have really appreciated this discussion. I think we're gonna go and watch the Babadook. Yeah, we think we do. Addie's several times (laughs) poked her head out and gave me a. Maybe after you're in trouble, look like I'll be critical about the soundtrack of the Babadook if there is a soundtrack. Of course, there's a soundtrack, probably the kind of crap you even the absence of a soundtrack (laughs) is a soundtrack. It's important. Damn, that was deep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I've been sitting here for almost an hour, um, talking to uh, my friend Nick Potter. And for uh, maybe and about made it this far, nine minutes, you need to figure out something else to do. <laughs> and Aaron Potter joined us for the last part. And at, uh, sorry, Cosby Potter was here for a little bit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he just came, laid on Nick, crunched some veggie fries, and then left. <laughs> but no, it's been really fun. Um, I, you guys have, um, I mean, affected. I think. Addie and I in a lot of really positive ways and um, reading you guys is because you both were contributors to Force Gospel, writing your thoughts reading your thoughts on music not only exposed me to a lot of stuff but um, opened my mind to a lot of music that was out there and ways of interacting with it that I wouldn't have had any other way. 
Thanks. You're a cutie, Ryan. I know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks uh, if anybody is still listening. You have <laughs> my heart. <laughs> right there. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. I'm going to watch The Babadook now.
keeping. That's what we've done. Breaking through the walls of pride. Listening to realize. Remember.